My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and it is my privilege to welcome you to a new year, 2020. We're all still alive. Two Sundays are behind us, and well, actually one Sunday and, and almost another Sunday, and um, I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to have for us in 2020. Actually, today is the beginning of a series of Sundays that I'm going to be telling you about what we're planning and what's valuable to us as a church in 2020. So today's the beginning of that, and we've incorporated that into kind of our service that we're going to have together, um, and some information on where we've been and where we're going. So, um, so you're going to get a, a, a big swath of information this morning, uh, but I wanted to start out with a little look into God's Word. And so... Um, so pray with me before we, before we jump into our, our message this morning, if you would. Lord, I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, start this new year um, with this church family. You have done great things in our midst over the past two years and uh, almost three complete years now. Um, none of us uh, would have thought we'd be in this place three years ago, but here we are. And, um, and it's exciting to see you opening the doors for our church. I pray, Father, that you continue to do it, that we'd be bold enough to walk through any door that you open and that you would surprise us with what you have for us around the corner. Thank you that the community knows we're here. Thank you that we've blessed them in some pretty unique ways already and bless us as we now look for ways we can be a blessing to them even more. Help us to see clearly the direction that you would have us go. Be with the elders and all leadership, the deacons as they serve this year and just all of the, uh, uh, the folks that you've given to give the kind of chart of the course for where we go. I pray, Father, that as we use our hands together, we would be a blessing to you. Um, help this church not to look the same at the end of 2020 as it does even now. And um, help us to be relevant to a culture that desperately looks for something relevant. Start this morning as we look into your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Here's what I'd like to do for you this morning is I'd like to do a little self-deprecation. You love it when I do that, right? These are glasses. These are not the exact glasses, but these are very similar glasses on the screen to what I wore since I was eight years old. I had the worst horn-rimmed glasses in the world. And my mother once in a while listens to these messages, so she's going to hear this, and it's about time she did. (laughs) She put the cheapest, ugliest 80s glasses on us that she could possibly put on us. Not only that, but I was nearsighted. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. So the, the lens that I had on there was literally the size of the bottom of one of those old Coke bottle glasses. So I had these and Coke bottles. I got beat up quite a bit. Looking back on it, looking like this, I probably deserved it. This is what I wore. Now, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see anything. And the thing that amazes me is sometimes I'd leave the house and I'd forget my glasses. And sometimes I'd wear them and I'd always break them and I'd end up looking like this guy because I'd have to tape them around the middle or tape them on the sides. Did you ever have to do this, by the way? It was just me? Well, it occurs to me now that I'm a grown man, I probably looked a lot like this guy uh, with taped up glasses and horn rib glasses. And it was, it was what we did back in the 80s and we were proud of it. Now, the interesting thing is Without these glasses, I couldn't see. So I literally had to wear them no matter what condition they were in or how much tape I had uh, to put on these glasses. I looked a bit like a nerd, and I couldn't, see, I couldn't even see the, the color of the car that was rolling in my direction to hit me on that. I had to rely on my friends to tell me, Craig, get out of the street without your glasses. There's a car coming. It's going to 
nail you. I could not see in front of my face. The sad thing about it is, in my head, I look pretty good in glasses. In my mind, I didn't look like this. I actually looked a lot like this. <laughs> and I was amazed that people couldn't see underneath this exterior and see the kind of man that I, you know, I kind of, it, maybe not Thor, but at least Superman, right? All he did was put on glasses and nobody recognized that he was Superman. You need a clear vision to see things clearly, right? And this is not only true physically, but this is also true spiritually. People claim all the time that they are seeing things clearly. But in reality, it depends on the spectacles that they put on. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter is about to get a lesson in this very thing. Peter and the disciples are talking to Jesus Christ. This is probably a passage that is familiar to you. But as I looked at it and I think about our vision for 2020 and the clarity that we want in our vision as a church, I thought this is a great passage to start with. So if you're using your Bibles this morning or your, your electronic um, uh, device, Matthew 16 is where we're going. Verse 13 is where we're starting. Now, when Jesus came into the di- district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what did he ask his disciples? Church, who do people say that I am? In other words, when people look at me, what do they see? Kind of like uh, Superman with the glasses, right? When people look at me, can they see through the exterior? Do they see who I really am? Uh, The interesting thing about having problems with your sight is, a lot of times, you could look at me as an eight-year-old kid wearing those ugly glasses, and maybe I forgot them one day, and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, but unless you were actually examining my eyes, you would not know, or you were watching how I was walking, walking into things, you may not know that there was anything wrong. In fact, my brother who also had a similar pair, must have been a two-for-one sale, had a, two, had a similar pair that I had, and he went to class when he was a young kid, and they put him in, uh, I think it was first grade, and while he was in first grade, his teacher thought he was a total loser, and, uh, just didn't understand anything, couldn't understand anything that she was teaching. She actually called my parents in and had a meeting with my parents and said, I don't think your son is very smart. There's something literally wrong with his brain. He, he can't get anything. She never imagined that there might be something wrong with his eyes. He couldn't see anything. So they ended up taking him out of class. And, and uh, anyway, it was a big rigmarole. But my brother still holds this against my parents to this day because uh, uh, actually they, they saved him uh, from, from the situation. But uh, he couldn't see, so he couldn't learn. Vision is incredibly important, and and unless you actually examine a person to look them in the eyes and have the right tools and the right instruments, you could look at them and say, no, they, they look like they see perfectly fine until they walk into a wall. And then you say, you know what, you're not looking right. You're, you're, not, you're not seeing correctly. You don't have the right spectacles on, or you don't have the right glasses on, or uh, you don't have any glasses on at all. So Jesus, when he talks to Peter, he literally says to Peter, when people look at me, what did they see? He was curious to know if the disciples thought it was clear to the public who they saw Jesus as. Do they see Jesus as the Son of God, or do they see him differently at all? Interesting. Verse 14, the disciples answered back, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Are you getting the idea that there's some visual confusion when people look at Jesus in this day? Some said it might be Elijah. 
because Elijah was promised to come back. We, we've actually covered that in our, in our Advent series. Elijah was promised to come back at the end of the Old Testament. And so people were looking for him and they were saying, well, maybe this is Elijah. Not a reincarnation of Elijah, but somebody that would look just like him and be God's chosen guy to fill in that Elijah role. So they said, well, some people think that you're Elijah. Some people think that you're a prophet. We haven't had a prophet for 400 years, and you're doing these miracles and telling these things that are going to happen, and they, they come to, to, to pass. So maybe, maybe you might be a prophet. We haven't seen those in a long time. Some people think you're a prophet like Jeremiah. And others say, maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, there's some confusion when people look at Jesus. Jesus had been doing miracles. He'd been teaching about God regularly. He'd even made open claims to being the Messiah. He even said to people, I am the one that you've been waiting for. (laughs) Not in a political sense, but in a spiritual sense. I am the one that you have been promised by God, the promised one. And he was doing everything he could to clear up the vision, but only a few people caught on. So the disciples admit with this statement, Jesus, when people look at you, They don't know what they're looking at. So guess what Jesus asks in verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus reverts to those closest to him, his friends, and he simply asks them one question. Spiritually, guys, who do you say that I am? Forget what you've heard. Forget all the hoopla. Forget all the guessing games all around us. When you look at me, what do you see? What has the Holy Spirit revealed to you about my true identity? Verse 16. And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On a statement of 1 to 10, would you say that is 10 right on the, right on the nuts? That's perfect statement. Or would you say, 1, they have no idea uh, he still has no idea who Jesus is. Would you say it's a 1 or a 10? What do you think? It's a 10, right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when he says you are the Christ, Jesus' last name is not Christ, all right? I say this all the time. It needs to be said again. It's not Craig Jarvis and Jesus Christ. It's not like, it's not his last name. Jesus is his name. Christ is who he is. Christ means Messiah. It is a translation, it's a, it's a Greek way of saying the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah means promised one, Christ means, come on now, same word. If Messiah means promised one, then Christ means promised one, just in a different language. You are the Christ, the promised one, the one we have been waiting for. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a great statement The Messiah, the one who will restore Israel, the one whose identity was foretold in the Old Testament, the one. You are the one we've been waiting for to redeem Israel. Jesus also would agree with you. He gave Peter a 10. He says in verse 17, Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus said, Peter... Your vision is 2020 on this one. 2020. You got it right. I am the Christ, the promised one. I am the Son of the living God. Peter was listening. He was listening to every claim that Jesus made. He was believing those claims and, (laughs) 
And he was seeing evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. God has given you, Jesus says to Peter, the right spectacles to see me for who I really am. You cannot see Jesus like this unless God intervenes and gives you the right glasses. A lot of people look at Jesus today and say, he's a good, what, teacher? He's a good prophet. There's a whole religion made up. Actually, there's two religions. Major religions in the world today that say that Jesus was not God, but he was a prophet. Good prophet. Promised prophet, but not God. You see, unless you figure out who Jesus is, you'll never be able to figure out what vision God has for you. You've got to see Jesus clearly to understand what that means for your life. Jesus was not just a good guy, not a good teacher, not a good prophet, not even a good prophet sent from God. Jesus Christ, Jesus was the Christ, the one promised, the son of the one true God. And you'll never see it like that unless God intervenes and gives you the right spectacles. God commends Peter, or Jesus commends Peter because he sees this. And Peter speaks, I think, on the behalf of the disciples here and makes this confession. And then verse 18 comes along. Verse 18 is probably familiar to many of you. In the Catholic Church, this is a very popular verse. Let me tell you about verse 18. Jesus just commends Peter for seeing who he was. By the way, Simon was, he calls Simon by his full name. He never does this. I like how he does this. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Do you know what that means? Simon, Bar means son. So Simon, son, what do you think Peter's father's name was? Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. I love it. My father who has, my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then he says in verse 18, Peter, I want, to, I want to tell you one other thing. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter's name in Greek is Petros. Say Petros. Petros. Peter's name, Petros, means something. Now my name, Craig, is a name that means something. It means side of a cliff. Or a rocky crag. Get it? A rocky crag. Side of a cliff. All right? So don't mess with me. You'll be going right That's again. It's the side of a cliff. My wife says this all, all the time. Talking to you is like talking to the side of a cliff. I said, well, that's, that's, that's my name. Craig. Your name means something. Now, your parents may not have named you whatever they named you because of what it meant, but back here, Peter got his name from Jesus because it meant something. What was Peter's real name? Simon. Peter's real name was not Peter. Who gave Peter his name? Jesus. You are no longer called Simon, you're called Peter. Do you know what Peter means? If you know what it means, just say it. What does it mean? Pebble? How did you know that? Oh, it's on the screen. I know. Peter means pebble or small stone. So if your name is Peter, Petros, in the Greek, it means pebble or small stone. Jesus uses a play on words to talk about this very subject of what it means to see clearly. Do you know what the word for rock is? 
It's not Petras, but it's Petra. You ever heard of Petra in the, uh, in the ancient Near East, in the Middle East? You can go visit Petra today. It's a big city made out of rock. Petra means rock. It means heavy, big-time, stone-heavy, boulder rock. You see, Petras means pebble, but Petra means rock. It is not the same word. The Hebrews did this all the time. They make a play on words to make a point. And the play on words that Jesus does here to to Peter is, I tell you, you are a pebble, but on this Petra, I will build my church. What is the rock? It is not Peter. You can go to a church today, a very famous big church today, that happens to have a place in Rome as its major gathering place, And they will tell you that Peter is the foundation of the church, and they will back it up with this verse, and it is an improper way of understanding this verse. Peter is not the foundation of the church. Petra is the foundation of the church. And what is the Petra that we're talking about? The Petra is what Peter just said. Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're the pebble. But on this Petra, what is the Petra? What Peter just said. And what did Peter just say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is saying, we are going to build a church on the foundation that is the doctrine, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're just a pebble in the the pond, Peter. But the stone is what this church is going to be built on. And the stone is the confession, the doctrine that Jesus is a living Son of God. Do you get it? This is the good news. The gospel, when, we, when you hear the word gospel, gospel is also a Greek word. It means good news. When we say gospel, we're really saying good news. And the gospel is the story of Jesus. That is why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels, because they alone tell the full story of Jesus Christ. The Gospels tell the good news, and the good news is Jesus came to us, Christmas. Jesus came to us, God with us. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word came and dwelt among us, and we did not know Him. That is the Gospel. Jesus Christ is a Word of God that came to live among us. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinless death, voluntary on the cross, and he went to the grave and rose again three days later. That is the gospel, the good news. Because Jesus Christ is the foundation of the good news. His story is the story of the gospel. So when you go to church and they say, we are a gospel-believing church, you need to understand, we are, we are, so what we're saying here is, we believe that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again from the dead, that he was sinless, and that he was the Son of God given to us to, to sacrifice himself on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. That's the good news. This is reiterated over and over in the New Testament. All those who come to God through Jesus will be rescued from the clutches of hell in this life and the reality of the hell to come. As long as the church keeps the gospel as its driving force, the truth of Jesus being the Messiah at his foundation, it will never falter. Look how the verse ends. What is the last phrase, church? And the what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Now, when you attack a city that is pretty monstrous, you want to go for its weakest point. If the walls are thick and made out of concrete or stone, it's pretty hard to get through. So where do you need to aim at to get through? The gates, the weakest point. That's why they had drawbridges, because they wanted to make as hard as possible for you to get to the gates. I mean, you can make ladders to go over the walls and things like that, but the gates, that's the weak point. And if you're going to storm a city, you want to aim at its weakest points. But the thing about gates is, gates don't move. Walls don't move, and gates don't move. Gates are established, they're firm. And when we read this passage of Scripture, we say, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does that mean? And so many times that we, we translate and we say, the gates of hell are coming against the church. No, 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 no. Gates don't move. Hell doesn't pick up its gates and its walls and start walking toward the church. Gates don't move. So when Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, you know what he's saying? He's saying, we are not on the defense, we are on the, and we're storming the gates of hell. Our job as a church is not to keep hell out. Our job as a church is to storm the gates of hell and rescue those who are stuck inside, captives. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. This is the story of the gospel. Jesus came from heaven. He descended. He came to be among us so that he could storm the gates of hell and he could take captives captive. And then he looks at us and he says, okay, guys, I've shown you how to do it. Go do it. We don't protect ourselves in the church and set up walls and set up gates and say, no hell shall pass here. When hell comes into church, we look at it and we say, opportunity. This is an opportunity. Because the church is not scared of hell. Hell is not as powerful as the church. The church is more powerful than hell is. And anything hell has against, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. See, the gospel overcomes. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This, you, you have the power of God at work within you. So the church has got to look at it this way. We are not keeping hell out. We're inviting it in. Because the more we have hell in here, the more we can take captives for Jesus Christ. We don't want to look like the world. We want to give the world a clear picture of what real freedom looks like. Outside of these doors, there are people all around us that have no idea how to have freedom. They don't enjoy anything like this in their lives at all. And they don't know what they're missing. This is a highlight of my week. I come and I see you people. Now, you don't have it all together, and I don't have it all together. Clearly, by dropping granite tabletops on my feet, I clearly don't have it all together. But this I know, that when this community happens on a regular basis, we have the power of God working within us. We don't need to be fearful of the world. We need to understand we are a force that Jesus is sending into the world to storm the gates of hell. And guess what? Jesus said in himself, the gates of hell shall not hold up against us. That's pretty cool, right? The gates of hell will not stand against us. No more than they stood against Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? This is not even in my notes, but I, and I know I'm going to take a little rabbit trail. Can you imagine what Resurrection Sunday must have been like in the strongholds of the devil? 
Can you imagine what that day would have been like? It's like he's down, we won. He is just a man. Yes! And then Shazam, he's up the next day. No, the next three days. Must have been a really disappointing day, don't you think? You may wonder why we sing about Jesus, pray through Jesus' name, talk about Jesus constantly. It's because the story of Jesus is a story of our lives. It's a story of this church. It's a story that will change every life around us. And without the Petra, the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, nobody gets any hope. We don't build church on the back of an individual. Good grief, no. Peter was a loser. I don't need to explain that to you, right? He denied Jesus three times, not once, three times. The Prime Minister of Canada, (laughs) this is hilarious. Oh, come on, can I? Oh, okay, all right, I'm not going to tell that story. All right, I won't tell that story. I really want to. Peter denied Jesus not once, but three times. And in addition to that, Peter was the most brash, the most outgoing. Peter dropped the ball. I mean, how many times did Peter drop the ball? And yet Jesus says, okay, Peter, I want you to be a part of building the church, not the rock on which the church would be built, because Peter was not a rock. Peter was a, a pebble. Jesus is a rock. The truth of him being the Son of God. And so what I want to do is park for a moment on these first few weeks out of the year and wipe our glasses off for a minute. You know, let's wipe our glasses off. I want to make sure we're really clear on what we're doing here as Village Church East. We're going to highlight some ministries of our church. We're going to tell you some things that makes VCE unique. We're going to reiterate over and over again the driving force of everything that we do and say is the gospel. It's the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But it's easy to get confused. Like, which church is right? Well, you got to start with a gospel. What does that church say about Jesus? If they say anything other than Jesus is the Son of God... (laughs) The Christ, the promised one, get out. It's not a good church. But a lot of churches will proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So how do you find a good good church? Well, to be honest with you, there's quite a few around. And we fellowship with quite a few. We are not a business in competition with the church up or down the street. In fact, if you've been here for any length of time, you'll know that's absolutely not true. We literally just had Neighborhood Sunday, Neighbor Sunday, where we invited a bunch of other churches to be a part of our church, and we want to be a part of what they're doing. We just happened to meet here because all our stuff was here. But we want to fellowship with churches that proclaim Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We want to pray for them. We want to give you updates. And I want to tell you that in 2020, I've already made plans to do more stuff with other churches. I like it. I like networking with other churches. I like praying for other churches. I like hanging out with pastors that believe the gospel. And I like to be reminded constantly that we're in this together. We're building the kingdom of God, not on the back of Craig or Peter or anyone here. We're building the kingdom of God together with anyone who claims that Jesus is a Christ, the son of the living God. We want to pray for them. We want to share ministry with them. We want to share resources with them. We want to link arms with churches that preach the gospel. And we want to storm the gates of hell with them. So if you're looking for a church, and you're here and you're just trying out, see what VCE is about, you need to know right off front, we're not the only ones that are right. (laughs) There's a lot of churches that are along with us, starting with the very basics. 
Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God. And from there, we're going to do a lot of stuff. It might look different from the churches around us. We won't, by the way, if you're coming to this church thinking to yourself, well, Craig hits it out of the park every Sunday, you're going to be surprised. I don't. Uh, sometimes we drop the ball. Sometimes we don't follow through. Sometimes, we, sometimes we'll just exhibit to you once in a while we're still human and we're still figuring this whole thing out. Sometimes we'll try something, it won't work, and we'll just say, oh, let's do something else. And we're okay with that. No one is attached with any value to what they do. It's who they are in Jesus Christ. So I would ask that you give us, if you're just trying us out, um, give us a five-week challenge. This is my five-week challenge. Try us out for five weeks. Because uh, after five weeks, one out of five, John's, John believes this, one out of five we should hit out of the park, right, John? One out, of, one out of five. That's good enough. That's like, uh, what is, I don't, maybe two times. Yeah, there you go. Um, but you got to go somewhere. Not everybody likes Texas Roadhouse. I don't know why, because it's the best restaurant God has ever put on the planet. <laughs> I love Texas Roadhouse. Not everybody does, but you got to eat, so find a restaurant, all right? Same thing for church. You may not like the church you're in. You may not, it may not click with you. It may not be what your kids need, or it may not be whatever. Make sure they believe in the gospel, and then go try them out. But if you're trying us out, give us a five-week challenge. See what you, uh, see what you come, in, uh, come up with. And then wherever church you go to, jump in. Don't, for goodness sakes, keep jumping around from church to church. God has given you gifts. Those gifts are meant to bless primarily a body of believers. So jump in and use your gifts. You're going to hear in just a minute that 81% of our church is involved in ministry on a weekly basis. Because that's one of the values of our church. We believe that if you're a part of, what we, of coming to church, you should be a part of doing church with us. And I love the fact that we do a lot of ministry together. Over the next few Sundays, I'm going to clear it up for you in a, in a series called Values That Drive Our Vision, uh, some of the things that makes our church unique, some of the passions about what we do, some of the differences. I mean, you probably have a good family, and somebody next to you has a good family, and another family has a good family, but you'd never survive in their family, right? It's a different kind of family. Well, churches are the same. Find one that works with you. The people that are in it are going to be sinners. Shazam, you never knew that was going to happen, right? They're going to have flaws. They're going to say things that tick you off once in a while. Just kind of like your own family. Think of it that way. But get involved and use your gifts to serve the Lord. The vision of our family is to use these values to drive our vision so that we can make disciples who go, grow, and overcome. Hannah is about to go to school tomorrow. Oh, I'm so sad about that. Hannah's going back to Atlanta. And we're going to miss her for a while. But then she'll be back, Lord willing. And we're excited about her going. But Hannah, when you go back to school, you know I expect you to behave certain ways, right? Yes, you do, right? And if you don't behave those certain ways, you know I am going to be disappointed with you, right? Right, that's right. She knows that because Beth and I have invested values in Hannah that we expect to be lived out in her life. Now, she's going to be different from us. She's going to like different things. She likes musicals. She likes different things. She likes different kinds of food. She's her own person. But the values we invest in Hannah are because I expect those core values to drive the rest of her life. She can be whoever God wants her to be, but those values will drive her. And I want to tell you as a church, you can be who God's making you to be. 
But if you're a part of Village Church East, we have values that we hope to invest in you and in your family that will drive your, your character and your family into the future and give you foundational truths to live your life by. By the way, Hannah, I love your values. She's going, she's going to a church now. Can I say this? She's going to a church now. It's a wonderful little church. And uh, she's already participating in some of their different activities. And when she told us this, when she said, I'm, in, I'm going to this church, it's going to be my home church, I'm going to invest in the church, I'm going to help out at the church, I went, yeah, that sounds right. Because those are the values that we've invested in her. As a church, we want to invest those values in you. So for, over the next four Sundays, you'll hear about some of these values uh, coming up. I want to tell you about some of the ways those values have portrayed themselves over this last year. 2017, 18, and 19 have been amazing for our church. Um, like I said in my prayer, I never expected to be doing this three years ago, four years ago. Uh, you never expected to be here because it wasn't, even a, it wasn't even on the radar. And now it's so much a part of my life um, I can't imagine doing it without you. And so I want to look back on 2019. I want to do, like, let's call this the nearsighted view, all right? Let's take a look at closely at what God has done with and through our church. Right now we have a full leadership team. We're about to celebrate our, um, oh yeah, you can go back one slide, sorry. Thank you, Emma. D- two more slides. The, uh, we're going to cover these things. This is, this is a part of what we're going to be doing this morning, so you can know where we're going to go. All right, jump, up, jump ahead now. Thanks, Emma. We have a full leadership team now, which I'm excited about. We have a full CLT. CLT stands for Central Leadership Team. I am so thrilled that I get to work with Kathy. Kathy, raise your hand up real. There she is. There's Kathy. She was up here singing, if you didn't meet Kathy. Kathy is uh, the left side, right side of my brain. Yeah, she's the left side of my brain. Whatever part it is, I appreciate her incredibly uh, Kathy and I meet every week. We talk about ways of putting into practice things that we've been talking about doing as a leadership team. And uh, I'm grateful for her. I also work with Megan, who's a part of the CLT. Megan, hand up real high. There she is. Megan is, uh, if you don't know Megan, Megan is the one married to Chris. And uh, yeah, so if you've seen Chris around, you'll, you'll know he lucked out with Megan. Megan is uh, head of our communications and she's wonderful. She has so many good ideas. And Meg and I meet on a weekly basis as well. This is a central leadership team. The reason I meet with these folks is because on a weekly basis, in order to put feet to our plans, um, these are the two people that help me make that happen. And so I'm grateful that I get to work with a central leadership team. We also have MDs. MDs are ministry directors. Uh, we have several MDs. Uh, we have... Uh, communications MD, um, that's, of course, Megan again. She wears two hats. Uh, so she's part of the CLT, but she's also an MD over communications. Connections MD, where's Debbie? There's Debbie. She's Connections MD. If you get anything from our church, um, uh, most of it will be filtered through, here, through her. She is kind of the one that figures out how to take it from here and put it here into our hands uh, or in front of our eyes. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, she connects us with one another, in other words. Uh, first impressions, where's Michael? Michael. Oh, there's Michael over there. Michael is over first impressions, which means Michael's in charge of the greeters, ushers, and hospitality. So if you figure you haven't been greeted properly today, that's the man you need to see right over there. 
Uh, facilities MD, that's Chris right there. Facilities. Chris takes care of all of this, everything that you see. Or if it breaks and needs to be replaced or doesn't look right, uh, that's Chris's job, and he does a great job at that. Productions MD is, is uh, Albert. Is Albert here? There's Albert right back there. Albert, raise your hand up real high. There he is. Uh, Albert and Brian actually work together very closely on productions. Make sure that the sound's right and uh, uh, all the cords are needed and, and get replaced that need to be replaced and everything gets plugged in properly on Sunday morning and we have what we need. Um, student MD. Where are you, John? John? John in the back. Yeah, sorry. There he is. John's in the back. John's over the youth. Uh, they took a uh, missions trip this past year, which was awesome, uh, to South Dakota, and that was just killer. He meets with the youth every single week. Uh, we have a Village Kids MD, and guess where she is right now? With the kids. Uh, that's Catalina. She's on the other side of that wall, hopefully. Um, we have an Outreach MD. That's way in the back. Yes, there she is. It's good to have you back. I know, I know. Every time I introduce Amber, it's like, nope, she, she had to go away for a little while. But she's here today, and we're so glad you're, you're back with us. Uh, she helps us figure out what we need to do for outreach, uh, how we need to reach into the community, and that's exciting. We have a women's MD, best-looking woman here. That's my wife. And then we have a men's, we're still looking for a men's MD, actually. We don't have men's MD. And then we have prayer, somebody overseeing prayer. That's... Yes, one of our elders, Brent. And then we're still looking for a global outreach MD. So those are some of our ministry directions, directors. We also have deacons. Yay, for the first time. They were voted in in December. So our two deacons are Joe. Raise your hand up there. There's Joe. And Mark. Mark, yes. Yeah, we're excited about you. We're going to hear more from them, actually, or more about them uh, in just a minute. We did some baptisms last Sunday, or last, uh, last year, you can see those on the screen. We also did several special events uh, that these wonderful leaders helped to put together. We had our second anniversary Sunday. We have our third coming up on the last week of, uh, on the first week of March. We did Good Friday with a, a joint church endeavor at Pleasant Hill Church. We had family dedication. We had a parade. We had National Night Out. We did apple picking together. That was a lot of fun. We did Thanksgiving dinner at my house. We had over 70 people in my house at one time. Whew. We did a Christmas giving project. Love doing that. You'll hear more about that in a minute. We also had Neighborhood Sun, Neighbor Sunday, which was right across the hall, and we had a lot of folks here for that. Um, some of you have been asking how we've been doing with our finances. Let me tell you, um, are you, are you do you want to know how we finished up last year? Can I tell them? 1,500 short. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a downer, isn't it? We did so good, though, but we were 1,500 short. But keep in mind that we took up two special offerings in December. And I just want to commend you as a church uh, because we helped out with the Christmas uh, project that we did, the Christmas Caring Tree. We collected in gift cards to help out Carol Stream, $780 in gift cards, and we collected in cash to help vict- uh, victims of domestic abuse. We covered uh, 1050 uh, we were able to give them uh, that to help them with uh, victims of domestic dispute, abuse. And what I love about that is the city came to us. The city came to us and they said, listen, we, we know that you love helping the community and we got a need right now. Could you help us with this need? And we were able to say, absolutely we can. And uh, so whereas we might have come in 1,500 short, uh, we still gave over and above that in gifts to the community, which is really cool. Put your glasses on. Here's some things you need to be aware of, all right? 
Healthy vision is always an offering from the Lord, not a demand. We are offering this to the Lord. Sometimes it may work, and sometimes it, it will work, and sometimes it won't work. But whatever it is, we want to make sure that it's the Lord leading us and not us leading Him. So healthy vision is a vision that's offered to the Lord and not a demand from Him. Number two, local church vision is not a prophecy, but the outflow of intentional and in, intentionality and intimacy with God. In other words, we need to keep the gospel first. If Jesus leads the way, we're going to stay strong. And we want to be intentional about the things that are really important to us. Number three, God's vision is almost always discovered through waiting, watching, and praying. We may have a five-year goal, but five years ago, this church was not my five-year goal. God has a tendency to kind of change our five-year, two-year, ten-year goals around a little bit. So God's vision is almost always discovered through waiting, watching, and praying, and inviting ourselves to be flexible to what God would have for us around the corner. We want to wait and see what God is doing, but not be lazy in the process. So we're going to keep moving forward. And finally, God's vision for you and for me and for our church exceeds current human and financial resources 99% of the time. <laughs> and that means what, whatever you think you can do, you can do more. And if you can do more, God will always, God always finances the vision. If it's his vision, finances aren't an issue. He will exceed all of our hopes and our aspirations. But God's resources for his vision are always come at the right time. I want to finish with a John Ortberg quote. God is still building his church. It is his. He thought it up. He created it. He authorized it. He resourced it when it had nothing. He launched it where there was no idea of it, and he continues to superintend it no matter how badly we mess it up. He has no intention of letting it go until it fulfills the purpose for which he created it. And no matter what the problems it faces, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is the ministry that you've been called to devote your life to. Others have come before us, and others will come after us. But this is our day. This is our moment. So church, let's be all in. Yeah? Yeah, let's pray. Father, I, I'm grateful for the reminder of the power of the church available to us today. Thank you that your church is your hope for this generation. Always has been. Has been for every generation. And we have done an amazing job time after time of messing it up, but yet it stands. And we are here. So, Father, in this generation, let us have a church that you would be proud of. A church that you would brag on. A church that you would commend. Let us never go the road of Ephesus or some of those New Testament Revelation churches where you had to rebuke them because they lost their way. Help, help us to be always with you as our vision and us full, f following boldly behind. In Jesus' name, amen.